0: Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Shona Jenkins and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. We have seen a historic day for British politics today as the Supreme Court ruled Boris Johnson's decision to prorogue Parliament for five weeks unlawful. I'm here in the studio with Jane Croft, our law court's correspondent, and Neil Buckley, leader writer, to discuss the ruling and what it means looking forward. First, let's hear the moment when Lady Hale, President of the British Supreme Court, reads out the unanimous verdict. The court is bound to conclude, therefore, that the decision to advise Her Majesty to prorogue Parliament was unlawful because it had the effect of frustrating or preventing the ability of Parliament to carry out its constitutional functions without reasonable justification. And let's hear the reaction of Jolyon Morm, a leading legal petitioner in today's Supreme Court case.
1: The last few weeks have seen an extraordinary series of attacks on our democracy. A Parliament elected from 46 million of us was unlawfully suspended by a Prime Minister elected from 160,000. Judges have been threatened by a a number 10 source and those of us who have sought to protect the only institution in our constitution with a UK-wide democratic mandate have been subject to death threats and some of us have had our home addresses published. I am delighted today that the Supreme Court has protected the foundational principle of any democracy which is the right of members of Parliament to do their jobs for which they were elected. There is much yet to be done to protect our democracy. For myself, I am very grateful to the exceptional legal team and to the almost 8,000 small donors who enabled this case to go ahead. The victory um, is theirs.
0: So, Jane, can you tell us the specifics of what's been ruled against and what this means for Parliament? Will the prorogation just be rendered void?
2: Yeah. So basically, the Supreme Court had to consider two court cases, one from Scotland's highest court, one from the High Court in London, and both about the same issue about whether or not the proroguing was lawful. The first thing the court had to consider was whether or not it was justiciable. So whether or not the courts could actually review this under Britain's partially coded, unwritten constitution. And they did decide it was justiciable. Then they had to decide whether or not it was motivated by an improper purpose of stymieing parliamentary scrutiny of the government. And they did decide that it was motivated by that purpose. So it prevented Parliament from doing its job of scrutinising the executive and therefore was lawful.
0: And this is being called a historic moment, Neil. Has Parliament ever seen anything like this before?
3: Well, there have been a succession of key moments in the history of Parliament and the British Constitution where the powers of Parliament and the Crown and so on have been defined in the past. But I think it's safe to say there's been nothing like this in the modern era in Parliament, where a court has taken a decision that directly impinges on the Prime Minister's powers to prorogue Parliament. And this is, of course, why the courts were so reluctant to get involved and why there was a lot of sensitivity over the court getting involved. But the court ruled that although normally the exercise of prerogative power to prorogue Parliament wouldn't be a matter for the courts, here there was an important issue at stake on whether that power was being used unlawfully and exceeded.
0: Now, there have been calls for Boris Johnson to step down. How has he reacted and what do you think the impact will be on his foothold in Parliament?
3: He has made clear that he intends to carry on. He said that he disagrees with the ruling and the expectation is that I think he will try and tough this out as he has toughed out a number of things that have gone against him recently in Parliament and earlier in his career. But I think it's going to get more and more difficult for him in Parliament. There must be a very big likelihood now that he will face some kind of no-confidence vote in the coming weeks and that could well trigger an election, certainly will be a lot more difficult for him to fulfil the strategy that he'd been intending to do of using the threat of a no-deal Brexit to negotiate with the EU. Now, if an election is called and if he makes it that far, then we'll see what voters make of his behaviour and the various different parties' positions on Brexit.
0: So, Parliament is going back into action as of tomorrow, Wednesday, and in the run-up to the crucial October 31st Brexit Day, as you mentioned, this ruling could have a significant impact on Brexit negotiations. Could you elaborate on that?
3: It will be a lot more difficult, I think, now for Boris Johnson to credibly threaten or have the implicit threat in the background of a no-deal Brexit if he's not able to reach an agreement with the EU. And therefore, I think the pressure on him will greatly increase to try and get some kind of a deal. If he can do that and get it through Parliament, then he could, in theory, at least go into an election and say, I delivered on my promise to ensure Brexit was achieved by October the 31st. But of course, we're very short of time. It's very, very difficult for him to get an agreement in the short time that's now available. So the likelihood is we'll have another extension. Either he will have to do that, as he's been mandated by the law passed in Parliament, or Parliament will seek to take matters into its own hands with some kind of vote of no confidence or even some kind of address to EU leaders themselves that somehow bypasses the Prime Minister.
0: Jane, what does the ruling mean for UK democracy and politics in general? Do you think the decision opens the gate to further judicial interventions in the government's decisions? I think it's possible.
2: It certainly strengthens parliamentary sovereignty, and it also shines a light on the British constitution. As I say, we've got a kind of partially coded largely unwritten constitution which consists of things like common law, legislation, it consists of works of authority, and it also consists of political conventions. And prorogation is a political convention. And the whole point about political conventions in the past is that politicians knew standards of behaviour and ways of behaving around the conventions. And, you know, the, the whole constitution worked quite well. But I think the problem is that a lot of the MPs are now saying that some of these political conventions like prorogation perhaps need to be put on a statutory footing so that, you know, they can't then be potentially abused by politicians in the future.
0: So, Neil, do you think Boris can survive?
3: That's a very difficult question to answer. I think, as I said uh, before, I think it's very likely that there will be some kind of no confidence vote in him, which will lead to an election. But I think he's making clear at the moment his intention is to hang on and to try and deliver a deal if he can or certainly to fight an election. What we don't know is whether other senior Tories may now be starting to conclude that Boris Johnson has become a liability, uh, that his position is becoming untenable and whether there might be some pressure put on him before an election for him to stand down. I think an awful lot depends on whether he can pull a rabbit out of the hat and miraculously get a deal in the next couple of weeks.
0: Thanks, Jane. And thank you, Neil. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our episodes on Edward Snowden's new memoir, China's role in tackling climate change, or the breakdown of talks between the US and the Afghan Taliban, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms.